0: teams that succeed are the ones where everybody plays their role correctly so if you want to do that with your business that's fine everybody needs to know what their role is and they need to know how to execute it and then you can scale.
1: Hi I'm Julie Hyde and I'm passionate about inspiring leaders to step up and lead and be powerful role models for those around them. My guests are all doing just that and I ask them to share how they are making it count and how they have created their success. I can't wait to share their amazing stories with you. My guest today is Steve Grace. Having successfully built and sold two profitable businesses from the ground up, Steve knows a thing or a thousand about what makes a business successful. Steve's new venture, The Nudge Group, was born from a genuine desire to help businesses grow from startups to unicorns, and I love that. Steve has developed a new and original recruitment model that gives early stage and rapid growth businesses direct access to top tier talent and specialist expertise without the traditional price tag. Steve is also the founder and host of the Give It A Nudge podcast. We chat about the startup space and what is key to creating the unicorns in terms of recruitment, culture and business foundations. We also chat about high performance habits for the entrepreneur or founder to adopt in terms of ensuring that they protect their energy and role model good habits For their team to enable sustainable high performance i'm sure you will really enjoy this chat with steve so grab a pen and paper and relax steve welcome to the podcast
0: thank you very much julie
1: i'm really looking forward to getting into your story and how you help startups become unicorns which is a tagline i just love (laughs)
0: Yeah, you know, we kind of threw that tagline up very early on just to just to have a tagline and, and it's really it's really stuck, it's which is fun. interesting. I love it too, actually. I've, I've come to love it.
1: Yeah, fabulous. All right. So if we can start at the beginning, and I'd love it if you can share with our listeners a little bit about your journey. What led you to the entrepreneur world and where did the passion to work with startups come from?
0: So the passion for startups came probably quite a bit later um i think i mean i think i started my first business 17 years ago which is really just frightening when it reminds me of how old i am yeah but uh it it really came from watching my father have to do that so he was not particularly a a startup guy or an entrepreneur he was almost forced into that through a medical injury so he was, a, he was a dentist. He was very much at the epitome of dentistry, working in Harley Street, as all our family had. And he found out his neck bone was sort of solid rather than, I think most neck bones have like three or four segments. His was just one solid bone. Wow. And they told him, if he carries on um, doing dentistry, he'll be in a wheelchair by the time he's 45. And he's got three kids at private school, his own business. And you know when you study to become a dentist, you, you don't study to become anything else. You study to become a dentist and no real skills outside of dentistry. So um, he went off and he did a, a variety of things. My father is very um, academic. He's got lots of PhDs and things like that. Not like me, I was far more like my mother, but he just made things work. He went off with a university friend and he was one of the first people to bring rap music into the UK from the States. Now, my father does not like rap music and does not listen to it, but he saw an opportunity. Um, and then he went and started a financial planning company. And then he learned how to program because computers were coming and he wrote like eight books on computer programming. Um, and he did all these different things just to make things happen. He ended up um, getting a job as uh, after he wrote the books, sort of led into a role at the British Dental Journal where he was editor for like 15 years, which was his favorite job in all the world. But just watching him go through a time of, utter uncertainty with no skill sets um, and just do stuff, I think probably just made me believe that I could do stuff.
1: What an incredible story, like in terms of diversifying.
0: <laughs> if, if you met him, you would just laugh because it's just, he's not that guy. He's just not that guy at all. Yeah. So I think you'd probably find that quite spot And look, I, I suffer from quite a bad dyslexia um, and my sister and brother are both very academic and I struggled with that a lot. And I think one of the things he said to me, probably when I was maybe 14 or 15 or 16 or something, somewhere around that sort of late mid to late teens was he said to me he wasn't worried about the fact that my marks were not as strong as my siblings. That didn't worry him because he said you were really good people. He goes, you're just going to be fine. He goes, you're just going to be absolutely fine. So I think when you have things like that positive reinforcement mm. at a really young age, particularly when you're in a place of not happiness, I guess, which so I wasn't, mm. and I felt like well, how come they can perform so well and I can't, to then have someone sort of just throw that out the window and go, no, don't worry, particularly when it's someone who's the complete opposite. Mm. gives you this I guess it gives you a a sense of belief I think so it was always going to be my intention it I just never had any idea what it was what it was going to be and it certainly wasn't going to be recruitment and I don't think you'll find any successful recruiters who left their schooling or anything and decided to become a recruiter yeah Uh, it's very much one of those careers you fall into which is exactly what happened I went into a recruiter to get a job and they offered me a job and that's how 90% of recruiters get their jobs so yeah and, and then that just sort of you know I just ran with that for a while and then the opportunity came up when I finally got my citizenship when I was here
1: yeah amazing so it sounds like you learnt from your dad in terms of identifying the opportunity and just making things happen
0: it's interesting because for someone like himself he doesn't plan a lot and neither do I. Um, so I think that's probably what I learned. Don't try and plan things because you can't control things. And I think that's why he stopped planning because he obviously had this plan. Yeah. And then someone took that plan away from him. So he probably, I don't, I've never actually talked to him about this. He probably went, you know, stop planning. Let's just get on with some stuff. Maybe that's what I, maybe I've never, I've never thought about it that way, but maybe that's what I, maybe that's what I learned.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So share with us because you've had, sir, um, you know, you've bought and sold, a lot of businesses. So you have got a lot to share in terms of the intelligence around that, which I'm keen to tap into. (laughs) um, I'm really keen to understand the Nudge Group, which is the recruitment specialist for startups, which is a really unique space. And of course, you've got a lot of experience in it. So what do you think is the key in terms of recruiting for a startup? You know, and of course, to enable them to be that unicorn, but I think it it is quite a different offering from a you know an established business
0: it, it, it's very it's very different. I think when I left my last business it wasn't wasn't the most friendly of exits let's just put it that way and I'd kind of and part of the reason was that I hadn't enjoyed the last couple of years there at all I really hadn't I wasn't enjoying the job I wasn't enjoying the company. I liked the, the people I really did mm. I wasn't enjoying the actual work anymore and I'd never had that before, so that was a whole new experience for me. So when I when I eventually exited, I didn't think I wanted to do recruitment anymore. Um, it wasn't it, it wasn't something that I was was appealing to me. You know, I'd done two businesses that were very similar in a lot of ways. They were different but similar, and I you know recruitment companies are all very similar. And I was like, what am I going to do? So I sat around for a long time trying to work that out. And I love startups. And you asked me earlier why I like startups. Mm-hmm. I like startups because of the energy. I like maybe I like startups because of the lack of planning, based off what we talked about just earlier, which I hadn't thought about. And I love the unbridled optimism and I love the just making things happen. So I loved working with them in my company prior, but we didn't do a very good job. And I didn't think any recruitment company did a good job at all. You know, I think overall, it was it wasn't seen as a positives from the startup founders and it wasn't seen as a positives from the recruitment consultants. You know, no one no one liked the scenario. It was almost happening because it was really beginning they were really beginning to emerge. You know, Atlassian had really kicked it and Canberra and Safety Culture was sort of coming through and it was it was becoming a more common kind of organization, but no one seemed to be working very well. So I set about to try and work out why. Mm-hmm. And there was some key, there's, there's a lot of reasons, but there was some key fundamental things. Um, the first one was pricing. Um, as I'm sure most people know, recruitment is very expensive. You pay very large amounts of money up front when you hire someone, you know, ten to twenty to $30,000, depending on the seniority. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money for a startup. Um, and startups are typically hiring really quickly. So, you know, if you're going to hire 10 people, that could be, you know, it's somewhere between quarter of a million to half a million dollars. It's a lot of money to be investing yeah. in startups. So that was a problem. There was a problem in terms of recruiters didn't really understand the difference between different levels of startup, which is where the startup to unicorn came from. Mm. So when you're hiring for a company that's pre-revenue or at seed, so they've just taken money from family, friends, or they've then gone into the venture capital journey where they started a series A and then success, they go to series B and success, they go to series C and so forth. And then you have private equity who come in and buy, and then you also have companies who are are IPOing and floating. Very different scenarios in those businesses, but they're all in that startup scale-up journey. You as an organization or as a founder have to hire very different people dependent upon where you are in that journey. You know, someone you're hiring when there's 10 of you is not the same as someone you're hiring when there's 50 of you, or it's not the same as hiring someone when there's 400 of you, Mm. and recruiters didn't recognize that. They recruited for those companies exactly the same way they were recruiting for Combank or Qantas or something like that. So there was a problem of the wrong people being put into the wrong jobs, and that meant they were leaving. So then you had consultants going, oh, well, we have to give a three-month guarantee. So hold on. You want me to work with a company where I'm not allowed to charge them as much. I've got to drop my rates because they're a startup. My candidate is more likely to leave, which means I'm going to have to replace it for free. Well, that doesn't seem like a great idea. So the consultants didn't seem overly keen. Mm. It was also the problem that the roles tend to evolve. You know, they're not structured. They don't have job descriptions. You almost need to work alongside them, which meant the process was longer. So again, the consultants are like, OK, longer process, lower fees, more free work. This doesn't sound like a great Idea for me, and then you got founders going. They don't understand me. They're sending me the wrong people. Then when they do the free replacement, I don't know if they're actually working that hard because I'm not paying them. So it just wasn't a great environment. So we just sort of set about a business that mainly dealt with those issues, and that's where we started. Other things have, have come out of it since then. Yeah, um, and there's a lot of things we do at Notion now that I had no dreams about at the beginning. Even though we're only two years into the journey, it's it's transformed enormously. Mm. But that was the initial thinking of why I wanted to do it. I thought, I want to work with these people, but we've got to work out and make this work because it's, it's, it's a nightmare right now. And that's and that's what we did.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there was a lot there in terms of, again, you saw an opportunity to um, come in and take over that market. But um, you say like you say, if the startup space is so different. So you're really looking for someone who loves that type of energy. I'm assuming as well, right. and is okay with the not necessarily having a fully written job description, and they're really happy to be dynamic and bounce around and pitch in where they can.
0: We have to we have to almost create that job description a mm. lot of the time with them. I think it's quite been quite interesting. I'm very lucky in that. What have we got now? We've got eight staff now. At Nudge, sort of two years in. We're looking at a couple more roles at the moment. Um, I'm lucky enough that right now everyone who works at nudge has worked for me previously in one of our companies. So that's been great. We're running out of people to do that, but we're still still got a few still got a few people to tap on the shoulder. But for me, the most important thing is and you just nailed it, you've got to love that startup space. Mm-hmm. Finding it interesting isn't enough. Thinking it could be fun isn't yeah. you, You've genuinely got to love it. And even though all the team do and they really do, it took every one of them two to three months to actually get their head around it once they submerged themselves in it. And they actually found it quite hard, which surprised me. I think it surprised them too. Yeah. And we now, we now know it doesn't matter how much someone loves it. If they haven't done it before, like exclusively, like they might've touched on it, to come and just do that and nothing else, mm. it actually takes a period of adjustment. So um, you have to almost control them and, and sort of walk them through i've got one at the moment got one at the moment who who's like that all the time anyway massively high energy and he's just dying to make it and i keep saying to him, you're so close it's gonna happen it's taking you know, it's it's quite fascinating but all these people even them it's taken all of them about say months two to three months to just sort of embed themselves in it but once you completely embrace it and embed yourself in it it's just so much more fun yeah, yeah. um and and we've had there was a there was a lady who I hired with a view to maybe doing something different outside of the startup space. And we couldn't do that for and I won't go into why, but we couldn't do that for a reason. So we just pushed her into this and she was a little unsure. Now she's got no interest in going back to anything else at all. She just adores it.
1: Love it. I love it. Cause I know uh, when I recruit for I don't do the recruiting obviously the recruiters help us but um, recruiting for small business and when we bring someone in who's been from like a corporate environment into a small business that's not a startup the transition can be really really difficult for them so I can imagine it would be tenfold difficult <laughs> You are know, coming from a uh, infrastructure that's very you know process driven there's lots of policies into the startup I, you you'd really have to be questioning is that person going to be the right fit
0: absolutely and look that we're a startup too right we're going through crazy growth so they've got to cope for everywhere it's coming up from everywhere it's interesting what you said about that that corporate thing i actually met up with um, ybf ventures you may know they're, they're predominantly melbourne based but they created a course um, like a 12, i think it's 12 weeks a 12 week course for corporate people who wanted to move into startups because they wanted to teach them stuff. Because if you're a corporate person and you go for an interview, it doesn't matter how much you want to get in there. You've got the wrong vocabulary. You talk in the wrong way. You don't understand, you know, do I want a real seed level? Do I want a series A? Do I want to scale up? They don't necessarily know the difference. And they use words like digital transformation, which startups, you know, you can't say that to a startup founder. Yeah. It's not, it's no digital transformation. He's only just founded the business. So they almost need to sort of relearn and They asked me to interview four or five people who'd been through the course to see if they had succeeded in doing that, and I did. And it was fascinating because I met these four or five people. They all had a completely clear idea as to what sort of stage startup they would fit. They all had the right vocabulary. They all had so. So, if anyone's thinking about doing that, about making that jump, YBF Ventures um, have this course, and I think they've run one cohort. I think they're going to run a second. Um, and I think they've done an excellent job, and I'm sure we'll begin to see more of these. But it's—it was interesting that someone had recognised that and then got and created some course material to help them. And obviously, it was ideally for their companies that they have within their venture arm to try and help them find people. But it is a—it's a—it's a fascinating space, and you—you you, you have to almost not argue, because that's the wrong word. But sometimes you have to re persuade someone that what they think they're going to be good, they're not. They really aren't. And you have to explain to them why. And they, don't, they don't always like that. So that's, you know, but that's our job as the custodians of these companies that are growing is we have to make sure they get the right people because we all know the wrong hire is so detrimental, particularly to an early-stage company.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I love what you said about the language, the language of different industries. It's completely different. It's huge, isn't it? It's just mm, massive. massive. Yeah.
0: I don't talk the same. I think I feel like I talk... Uh, I I don't know I don't I think my vocabulary has changed having spent two years I catch myself using buzzwords that I hate I'm going to try really hard not to use them in this (laughs) Um, but there's so many of them yeah Um, and some of them are like oh you almost roll your eyes when you hear yourself saying them but it is there is definitely a vocabulary within the environment
1: yeah absolutely I could understand that for sure and now for a quick break
0: if you were listening to this podcast then you understand how important leadership is to your success And that starts with you. How you lead yourself will impact the performance
1: of your business, your team, and your career. That is why we developed the Role Model Effect program. This program is designed for those who want to sharpen their leadership tools and be a leader that people want to work with. It's seven weeks, a value-packed and laser-focused
0: course spent on crafting your leadership for success. You will walk away with absolute clarity
1: on what you need to do to be a successful leader. The results our participants are achieving speak for themselves. So if you understand that leadership is the key to your success,
0: contact Julie to find out more at juliehide.com.au.
1: So in talking about um, startups, you know the cultures can be really fast and furious and can be all about the hustle to get it off the ground. And you hear stories about people really slogging it out to get the business off the ground. And that's the only way that they've been successful. So Do you believe that this is a positive approach and is this fast and furious culture, is it hard to break, you know, as the business scales and grows?
0: That's a really interesting question. So I have some really interesting views on this Mm. because I've obviously been through it uh, three times now. That's how I have done that. Um, now that's a personal choice for me i tend to work like that that is my personality to go really hard and fast early and i do believe to be successful at anything whether it be starting a business whether it be a sport where, you know it doesn't really matter you've got to be willing to do more than the average person out there yeah however i certainly don't believe in the fail fast strategy mm-hmm I think if you fail fast, that's, that's okay. But I don't think you should aim to do that. That to me is madness. No one should aim to fail. Mm. I, think you, that, that's, I think that's been taken out of context. I understand what people are saying, but I think people think about that incorrectly. You don't need to fail to succeed. Mm. You, there's little failures that aren't. I don't consider failing. You know, I think that's just learning. But I think that it is a very hard culture to break within certain types of people. I think there's a whole new group of founders coming through who are far more focused on their looking after themselves. And, yeah. and this is something I've been promoting a lot. You know, we we recently bought a website called Balance the Grind, which is the number one work-life balance website, and that talks about all the ways different. If you go through that website, and I don't know how many interviews are on there now, there's a lot, everyone has a different approach. Mm. I think you tend to hear more about the ones who really grind it out because they tend to talk more about it. But I think right, it's not a continuous thing. I think there are periods of time, in a business life cycle where you have to probably work extraordinary hours, but it's not a consistent thing. And it could just be for a week. It could be for three days. Yeah. It could be for a month. But then you have to also balance that out with the freedom and, and looking after your health and your diet. And obviously, as we all know now, it's how important sleep is, okay? So, yes, there are periods where opportunities will present themselves and you have to grab them. Yeah. And if you go at them half-heartedly, you probably won't succeed but it's not a continuous thing that you keep doing because you can't actually succeed that way. You will end up having negative effects. So I think, yes, it is a hard culture to break, but I think the the new, the new sort of uh, founder type that's coming through is, is a little bit more aware of diet and yeah. sleep and, and the use of, um, you know, I guess coffee and alcohol to stay awake and all this kind of stuff. They don't do that as much, but at the same time, You can't just breeze along. There will be periods when you see an opportunity when you will have to work extraordinary hours. Mm. And that's the difference, I believe, between probably the companies that succeed and the ones that don't. I mean, to me, success in a business is really just not stopping. Because if you don't stop and you don't give up, then you haven't failed, right? So that's that's really how I see it. And I think that hour, that really hard grinding Mm. is part of it, but you have to keep check on it. I think that's my view.
1: Yeah, awesome. And I'm going to uh, tap into that with you because I know you're very big on a high-performance lifestyle to be a high performer professionally. So I'll tap into that. And it's interesting, I just think sometimes the language around Um, the startup space in that you know people boast about i did you know 20 hours a week you know seven days 20 hours a day seven days a week and that's the only way we got it up but i just wonder like you said that can't be over a long long period of time it's not necessarily sustainable for your health
0: yeah i mean uh, and 20 hours a week is crazy i mean even doing you know Fourteen hours a day for mm. a week is exhausting, mm. right? And that might be something you need to do for a particular time. I think it depends on what business you're in. Yep. Um, I think some people try to do things without the correct funding. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, there's a big difference between the building the type of I business bills as I build, which are services, it builds businesses, um, as opposed to product businesses. Mm. So I think that sometimes, and this the industry is very irresponsible in this, particularly once they go into that VC funding. There are com- there are VC funders out there who insist on them hitting a certain revenue or a certain deadline in a particular time It's just totally unrealistic, but don't give them the money to be able to resource it to hit that, and in which case they have to overwork because they've got themselves in this this situation where they have have been given some money. There's a sense of responsibility. They need the next round of money. And they'll only give that to them when they hit an unrealistic goal, but they don't give them enough money to hit that goal. That kind of thing goes on a bit, and I think that's bad, really bad. Mm. I do agree. I think the way sometimes the language is, is said, and I guarantee you half the people who say that didn't do that, or they spent three hours in the middle of the day doing something else Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that there's a lot of bravado that gets flown around that's probably not realistic as well and you have to try and cut through that I think you can the ones that are shouting about it are probably the ones that aren't doing it Mm -hmm. because if you're if you're doing that where have you got time to shout about it
1: (laughs) that's true isn't it very true So tapping into your vast experience again, sometimes you hear that businesses have literally imploded because they grew too fast. And that's not necessarily limited to startup Established companies that have gone to the next level of growth and they've just gone too fast. Yeah. So do you have any insider tips that you can share with us to avoid that happening?
0: So there's a lot of talk about scalability. And this is one of the areas I do think there's some planning required. And I don't often say that. Um, If you are going to scale at that sort of pace, you have to have process and procedure in place. Otherwise, you just end up with pandemonium. You know, human beings need to be, particularly when they're coming on as employees into companies where there's not a lot of structure, they need to know what's expected of them and how they can achieve it. Mm. Now, if you tell them what's expected of it, but you don't tell them how to achieve it, and you hire 100 people like that, well, you're just going to get chaos because everything's going to happen in their own way and it's just not going to be uniform. Mm. And that's when companies will often fail. it's There's nothing wrong with scaling at that ridiculous pace as long as it's very clear what you're trying to achieve and what everyone's part of it is, like in a sporting team, for example. You know, the teams that really succeed, and you hear this time after time in post-match interviews, the teams that succeed are the ones where everybody plays their role correctly. Yeah. So if you want to do that with your business, that's fine. Everybody needs to know what their role is and they need to know how to execute it. And then you can scale. Whereas if you just hire and just throw them out there and go find a way to do it, which is the way that you grow it at the beginning, that's when they fail. So it's a case of the company's maturing, but the the company wants to mature, but it's not maturing. So you're trying to grow a business in the same way you grew it in the first year. Because Mm -hmm. when you grow it in the first year, you don't have time for that. And everybody just has to feel it out and work out their own way. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you get scaled, that can't happen. You have to have that process and procedure. And entrepreneurs generally don't like that. And that's when they get in the way of their own company's success, which is, you know, it's a very common thing. And that's when they have to bring in people who've been on that YBF Ventures, hopefully, program and and have a bit more structure, but still can move into that area. And and that, again, brings me back all the way to the beginning about hiring the right person at the right time. You know, they call them at the beginning, they often call them pocket knives or pen knives because they're people who can do five different jobs. But then as you get into the scale-up phase, that's the last thing you need. You don't need someone to do that because they'll become overwhelmed and won't achieve anything. Then you need the people who are very specific. And this is the whole point of what we do is making sure they get the right person. Marketing manager here is very different to a marketing manager here and you have to make sure you get them the right one.
1: Mm, That's so relevant in terms of just knowing that right time to get the processes and procedures in place so you can grow sustainably.
0: Yeah, and it's and there's nothing fun about process and procedure for an entrepreneur. There are people out there that think it's great fun, but there's very few entrepreneurs that do. It's what they call growing pains. It's a very difficult time, and it's often when you're um, the people that are funding you. If you're in a product based business, can come in and advise you. Um, you've obviously got to be aware enough to be able to understand what your weaknesses are. You would hope by that stage you've realized what your weaknesses are. You know, it gets easier as you get older because they keep coming back and you actually go, you know what? Maybe. Um, But the the ones that are very successful are the ones that probably identify their weaknesses before they identify their strengths. And I think that's a very good thing. Find out what they are and, and get rid of them. I'll give you a really good example. I'm not a finance person. I'm not great with numbers. I'm not good with Excel at all. I can just about do a multiplication or an attraction on an Excel spreadsheet. That's about it. And when we were growing Nudge Group, I was doing all the accounting and I was doing all the, the you know, I was doing everything as you do. And we never had any money. I couldn't work it out. As soon as I outsourced that to someone else, suddenly the cash flow was amazing. There was money everywhere, and I was, I just I don't understand why. It's really frustrates me and it really annoys me that I can't do it, but I know that I can't and there's no point in trying. I have got other things I can spend my time on that are far more useful. And I think the more of those you can identify the earlier on, the quicker your success will come.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm a massive fan of that. Know your strengths and outsource or recruit for your yeah. developmental weaknesses, I say.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but can you share with us then some tips to be a high performer so that we can be a high performer professionally?
0: I think habits are important. Mm. I think you have to develop good habits. There's a zillion books on this. You don't need to read those books. It's very simple. Spend some time reflecting and, and work out. When you perform at your best, what were you doing the day before? When you're making the right decisions, what were you doing the day before? And then do the opposite. You know, when you made stupid decisions, what were you doing? And look at the habits that make you perform well. And they are completely different to every single person. So it could be that some people have an afternoon nap and it makes them super powered into the night. It could be that you you have to have long hours sleep. It could be that you need to exercise in the morning, rather than in the afternoon. It could be what you eat. It's different for everyone. So there's no right or wrong answer. You have to spend time identifying what makes you function well and what makes you function badly. And all human beings are different. I have a I have this thing called a whoop band, which measures all sorts of things. It's, it's an exercise thing. It comes in my gym membership. So it's a bit like an uh, Apple Watch on steroids. It tells me heart rate, tells me how I sleep, tells me how many calories I'm burning, all this sort of stuff. But the longer you wear it, and I've been wearing it for a year now, um, and you don't take it off at all. It's waterproof and you just charge it by sliding something onto it the longer you wear it, the more it becomes attuned to you. And I've got three or four friends who have them at the same time and you can actually share your data and we can do exactly the same things. Our data is completely different. Yeah. And it really opened up my eyes to how different everybody is. Yeah. So I think habits, definitely. And then as you talked about um, high-performance lifestyle, this becomes more important the older you get because you don't bounce or you don't. You, your, your body's not, not as used to things as it used to be. So I think the exercise, the diet, the sleep. I just think they're so, so important. And all of those three things will impact the most important thing, which is your mental health. And that's probably the number one thing for anyone running a business. If your mental health isn't where it should be, doesn't really matter. The rest is just going to be a disaster. Mm. And you don't need to go and see counsellors. You don't need to talk about your feelings every day. It's not things like that. It's really just looking after yourself, both physically, eating and sleep-wise. And that will do more than pretty much any talking will around getting your mental health. So I think if you can do those three things well or do them more well than you do badly, if you like. That yeah. was a really bad sentence. <laughs> um, and then, uh, no. And then the other thing is, yeah, try and work out what your habits are and understand that they will also change with time. So, it, it, making sure you give yourself time once a month to just think about these things. And we're not talking an afternoon, we're talking a half an hour. You know, you can go on a walk and think about this stuff, or a bike ride, or a swim, or something.
1: Yeah. I love that question you said before about when you perform at your best, what were you doing the day before? And, you know, switching that around to if you didn't perform so well, what were you doing the day before? Because that will make a difference and give you some intel, like you say. And you don't need to spend money on that.
0: No, you don't. You don't. And the the, the impact it has on your decision making mm. will blow you away. Yeah. And that's really one of the key things to, between success and failure is the decisions you make, right? So. Yeah. I think it, if anyone thinks it's not worthwhile, well, that's perfectly within their rights. But I, I can't stress it enough. I think it's so worthwhile.
1: Yeah, I hundred percent agree, and I totally resonate with that. So, thank you for sharing. Very simple tips. I love simple.
0: I'm not. I'm not a complicated person, Julie, by any means. I do not like complicated things at all. I like simplicity all the way.
1: So I'm with you on that one. <laughs> so, Steve, my gosh, I, there's so much that I could talk to you about today. It's just been incredible. But I'd love for you to share how people can get in contact with you because you've got your YouTube channel that you're doing regular.
0: That's weekly now. Gosh, that's that's a lot of fun. I love I love doing that. It's one of my favorite things to do.
1: Oh, good, good. So I'd love if you can share how people can get in contact with you there. And um, I'll share out all links as well. So people can tune in to Balance a Grind as well.
0: So, look, the, the, the easiest way where everything is is obviously LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, so I'm on LinkedIn. You can, there's a link to Balance the Grind. There's a link to the Nudge Group. There's a link to Give It A Nudge. So there's a link to all the different things there. Yeah. That's probably the number one. I won't direct you to the, the Nudge Group website because I don't like it. We're just in the throes of re- – it was the first one we throw, threw up at the beginning, as you do. And we've been working probably for three months now on a new one. I think it will be ready in three more months. It's going to be awesome. So excited about that. So Mm -hmm. have a look, wait 12 weeks before you look at that one. Um, But yeah, definitely LinkedIn is is the easiest way by far.
1: Yep, perfect. And um, I highly recommend you do that and jump on to balance the grind and also watch Steve's YouTube in terms of tapping into all of his expertise. (laughs) So, Steve, on a final note, this podcast is called Making It Count. So can you share with us how do you feel like you're making it count in your world?
0: How am I making it count in my world? So an interesting question when here we are in the throes of our second lockdown, isn't it? Yeah. As you know, I've had two businesses. Uh, I enjoyed both of those businesses, but... This one I'm just enjoying so much more and I think that's probably what's making it count more for me is that I'm doing a business that I'm really, really enjoying Mm. and I'm just constantly trying new things. I'm not afraid to try any new things. To me, the joy that that gives me enables me to be better and more present with the family. It enables me to be just, just a happier person to everybody. And that will hopefully reflect in the work that we do with all of these founders. And we're hopefully helping build the CEOs of the future. Right. And that how, how amazing is that to be part of that at the very early age? It's just awesome. So I think, I think that is it. I think if you're really not enjoying it, doesn't mean you have to throw it out the window, but you have to look at how you can change it. That, to me, is the number one thing. The more you enjoy it, the better you do the job, which means the better service your clients and your customers get, which means the more success you have. It's a very simple thing. It doesn't mean it has to be your passion. I don't believe that. But you have to actually just enjoy getting up and doing
1: what you do. Mm, Yes, I love that. Steve, thank you so much for your time. This has been just gold. So, really appreciate that, and hopefully, lockdown will be over for us very soon. <laughs> hopefully,
0: soon. Hopefully, before summer comes. Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Jeeves. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks for listening, and I hope that you have gained some great ideas and feel inspired to get out there and make what you do count for your leadership, your business, and your life. Please do leave a review for this podcast and please share it with your network. Send any feedback or suggestions for future guests by emailing me, julie at juliehide.com.au. For now, let's get out there and make it count.